Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in today's program, you want to look at the oldest book in the Bible. Well, at least what most scholars who have a high opinion of Scripture think is the oldest book, which is the book of Job. And when they say Job is the oldest book in the Bible, that means when it was written compared to the other books. Exactly. Obviously, the early chapters of Genesis record history from the very beginning of creation to the flood, which all took place before Job even lived. But the book of Genesis, as well as the rest of the Pentateuch, Scott, what is the Pentateuch, in case some listeners don't know what it is? It's the first five books of the Bible. Penta meaning five. Mm -hmm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're also known as the five books of Moses. Very good. Those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were written down by Moses long after Job lived. So even though Genesis, at least the first 11 chapters, records events that occurred before Job lived, the book of Job was probably written before Genesis as we have it from the hand of Moses. And I think that fact is always important to keep in mind when reading from Job, because what we're getting a glimpse of when we read Job is the knowledge the ancient patriarchs had of God and creation before the Old Testament that we're familiar with was even written. It would be fascinating to learn how those ancient people knew what they knew about the history of the world. Mm -hmm. Was it from written documents or oral tradition? I don't think we can be sure, can we? No, I don't think we can. Although, because of the form of some of the narrative, for example, in Genesis, we can be pretty sure some of the information was written on tablets. In fact, writing on tablets is even mentioned in Job. Scott, read Job 19.23. Okay, Job is speaking here, and he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. And now listen to verse 24. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. So notice Job is talking about his words being engraved on a rock. Now, that could be on hard stone using an iron chisel, like he says. Or more often... What was used was a soft clay tablet that was easily inscribed on and then hardened in an oven. Those then became like stone and would last a long time. So like we said, we don't know. But perhaps in Job's day, they had access to tablets that recorded the genealogies of man from Adam to Noah and beyond, or the accounts of creation and the flood. Or they may have had records written on papyrus. Well, papyrus certainly would have been easier to carry around. That's for sure. But however, the patriarchs obtained their information. What we're going to see is they knew the history that's recorded in Genesis. And we're going to see that by considering the words of Elihu in chapters 32 through 37 of Job. What happens first is Elihu apologetically explains that he's going to speak after having listened for a long time to all the words exchanged between Job and Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And the reason he had waited so long is because of a concept that has virtually vanished from our American culture, and that is he was remaining silent out of respect for his elders. So let's start reading chapter 32. And even though I'm the elder, <laughs> you go first, Scott. Yes, sir. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzzite, of the family of Ram, burned. 
against Job, his anger burned because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouths of these three men, his anger burned. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, spoke out and said, I am young in years, and you are old. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. I thought age should speak, and increased years should teach wisdom. Okay, so we'll stop there. There's an interesting insight into the principles of that time. Even though he was angered by what he was hearing, he kept his tongue in check until the four elders were done talking. But then he holds nothing back. Nope. And it's pretty remarkable. Job records six chapters of Elihu's monologue. However, Elihu doesn't just start spouting off. He actually justifies his position on the issues that they've been discussing by citing the true source of wisdom. Experience is certainly a key source. And obviously, with age comes experience. But if that experience is not combined with an understanding from the Creator, age and experience do not equal wisdom. And as part of his discourse, we're going to see that Elihu was familiar with the creation account in Genesis chapter 2. After he said, increased years should teach wisdom, he goes on in verse 8 saying, But it is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. So I say, listen to me. I too will tell what I think. So then notice what Elihu says about the true source of understanding. It's the spirit of man, the spirit which is given understanding from the breath of the Almighty. And Dr. Scripture, isn't that word translated breath the same word for spirit? Well, the Hebrew word is nishama, and it is translated spirit a couple of times in the Old Testament. But the Hebrew word that generally is translated as spirit is ruach. Nishama is most often translated breath or breathe. But when it is used to refer to the breath of God, it definitely does mean God's spirit. So note, verse 8 that I read said, It is a spirit, that is, ruach, in a man, and the breath, that is, nishama, of the Almighty gives understanding. I'll repeat it this way. It is ruach in man, and the nishama of the Almighty gives understanding. Now listen to this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the nishama of life, that is, the breath of life, and man became a living being. You recognize where that verse came from, don't you, Scott? Yes, that's from Genesis chapter 2, hmm? which gives details concerning how God created Adam. Correct. Genesis 2, 7. And what does it say happened? God breathed into the human body he formed, the nishama of life, which I submit should be understood to be his spirit. That is what the Creator did to create man unlike the animals which were just made of the dust of the ground. In order to make his image bearer, God combined his spirit with a material body and created Adam, that is, man. How did God do this? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure we would have no way of understanding whatever the real dynamics were for God to do that. 
So he uses the description. He breathes into the body, using the analogy of moving air or wind to represent his spirit. Well, yeah, and that's exactly how Jesus explained the dynamic of the spirit of God giving life to a person when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Indeed. Let's look at how Jesus described it. Starting at John chapter 3, verse 5, Scott. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, We see this consistent comparison between the action of the Spirit of God giving life and the movement of wind or the breath of the Almighty, as Elihu put it in Job 32, verse 8. Now, Elihu hadn't been talking to Jesus like Nicodemus, so where would he have known about that description comparing the Spirit of God with the wind or breath? He must have been familiar with the account recorded in Genesis chapter 2. And to confirm that, now let's look at how clearly he states it in the next chapter. Scott, read Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. That is, the Ruach of God has made me, and the Nishama of the Almighty gives me life. And now listen to chapter 33, verse 6. Behold, I belong to God like you. I too have been formed out of the clay. Now, here, then, is a direct correlation between the Spirit and breath of God the Almighty. And with Elihu's reference to being made out of clay, his description clearly points back to Genesis 2-7. That is so cool. It is, isn't it? (laughs) There's no doubt Elihu, and by extension Job and the others, had knowledge about the creation account. Mm -hmm. And something else that comes up over and over again in our discussions about creation is present in what Elihu says in the verse you just read. What's that? He said, I belong to God like you. He's espousing the principle that since God made us, he owns us. Mm -hmm. So that concept goes all the way back to the oldest book in the Bible. Indeed it does. And Elihu states the principle again in chapter 34, verse 13. Speaking of the creator, he says, Who gave him authority over the earth? And who has laid on him the whole world? Well, the obvious answer is no one. Hmm. God has the authority by virtue of the fact that he created it. And since the creator owns mankind, he has the prerogative to do with man whatever he wills. (laughs) I'm very glad that God loves us. (laughs) (laughs) But now read verses 14 and 15. If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. So there again are these very direct references to the account in Genesis chapter 2. But before we finish today, I want to point out one more idea expressed by Elihu. It's his understanding that every person was created by God. And any wisdom or understanding or knowledge that we acquire, we owe to him. And that fact forms a foundation for the principle that all people are created equal. 
which we should understand goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. Remember, Elihu was reticent to speak in the presence of those senior to him, but that was out of respect, not out of a sense that they were better than him. It isn't age alone that produces wisdom or understanding. It is the Spirit of God the Almighty, which can and does communicate with the Spirit of man, something that God doesn't do with the animals because they don't have a spirit. They're not created in His image. That Spirit is the part of all human beings that carries the Creator's image. And if a person listens to and submits to the Spirit of God, regardless of age, gender, race, or socioeconomic background, a person can have spiritual understanding, that is, godly wisdom. That is why, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.